South Africa is one of the most beautiful countries in the world, with its beaches, the iconic Table Mountain, wine regions, wildlife, the list is endless. Yet it's unlikely to be one of the top picks for international tourists anytime soon, as a result of the recent unrest and looting sprees, as well as the impact on the economy from COVID. The economy has taken a devastating knock. So where to from here? It will take years to recover, if ever, as at least some investors will decide that they no longer have the appetite to invest in South Africa due to the high risk and poor return. Immigration rates are on the increase. Immigration inquiries have increased threefold since the looting and unrest. A lot of South Africans who can get out are doing just that. Is there any hope for South Africa's economic future? Finance Minister Tito Mboweni said this week that South Africans will need to work together to get the economy back to where it was pre-COVID. The National Treasury now projects that we will only be able to go back to the pre-COVID uh, growth situation only in about 2023. Um, this then calls on all of us to put our shoulders uh, to the wheel. He said the recent unrest has also had a significant impact on the economy with the damage running into billions. The destruction of infrastructure that belongs to all of us is really unacceptable. And for example, the current estimated cost of damage to property and infrastructure in Etequini is around 15 billion rand. I'm Catherine Rice, journalist for News24's multimedia department, and this is The Story. This week, we'll talk about the South African economy and its prospects for recovery. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. We're talking to Head of South African Investments at 91, Nazmira Mula. Thank you for joining us. In many other countries, people who have been hit hard by COVID lockdowns have been compensated and supported financially by their governments in order for businesses to survive the COVID lockdowns. Here, it would appear the government's efforts have been half-hearted at best. The tourism industry and hospitality industry, as well as the restaurant industry, is completely in tatters. Can it ever be rebuilt? And how long, if ever, do you think it'll take? Hi, Catherine. I think that the hospitality industry is going to take some time to come back to what it was pre-COVID. I think South Africa has been struggling with the fact that it doesn't have the fiscal means to provide widespread support, but also with a government that has very little capacity to actually administer targeted support. And as a result, what we've seen is very little support being provided to businesses. The most effective has been the tourist scheme through the Unemployment Insurance Fund, which has reached a large number of employees. But I think it is going to take several years for the restaurant industry to bounce back. And what do you think the effect is going to be on tourists overseas who are watching the wave of looting on their TV screens? I mean, what image is that creating? Do you think tourism will ever get back to being what it was, having been one of the biggest foreign exchange generators for South Africa in the past? I think it depends what happens going forward. So if the looting that we saw is a once-off event and we don't see recurring bouts, um, then I think 
there is a good chance that once we get through COVID, you will see a big boom in tourism globally, and South Africa should benefit from that. Um, if we think about other portions of the world who've had um, large social upheavals that depend on tourism for a lot of their um, foreign income, whether that's Thailand or Egypt, you do see the numbers coming back after a period of stability. I believe we're the only country in the world where the number of people who receive social grants dramatically exceeds the number of people who pay tax. Is this sustainable and where is the money going to come from in the future, particularly as unemployment just seems to continue to rise month after month and our taxpayer base keeps shrinking? Where does it end? That statistic is quoted widely, but I always caution people to be careful with that because the quantum of social welfare grants we supply are relatively small. If you look at the child support grants, which are a few hundred rands a month, this COVID relief grant, 350 rands a month, these aren't large amounts of money that are being paid to each individual, though the number of individuals who do receive them is quite large. So I, I don't think simply comparing number of taxpayers to number of recipients in one of the most unequal societies in the world is a useful statistic. Having said that, I think the lack of job creation is a real problem and we can't get away from that. I mean, so we need to see growth. What we haven't seen um, for the last decade since the onset of the Jacob Zuma presidency is any real growth in the economy. And what's happened is despite an initial commodity um, price surge post-global financial crisis, um, regulatory instability, corruption, um, government meddling, have resulted in contracting private fixed investment, which has now lowered our potential growth rate. Therefore, the solution is an improvement in private investment. And I think the Ramaphosa presidency had started to take some very good steps to um, deal with this. Most notably, big increase in the self-generation limit for electricity from one megawatt to 100 megawatts. And that, I think, will start to see quite a bit of investment in that sector coming through. But we need to see more such positive steps. And what about the RAND, Nazmira? Where's that heading? It's been weakening significantly in recent weeks, but how is that going to affect our economy? I think the RAND's been enormously stable over the course of the last six months and has performed very strongly over the course of the last year. And the main reason for that is the strength in commodity prices. 80% of what South Africa exports are commodities. And what we've seen is um, commodity prices performing very, very strongly. Um, There was a note I was looking at this morning, which said South Africa's trade balance for the last 12 months is the largest trade surplus ever experienced in the life of the average South African, even as a percentage of GDP, given the life of the average South African is about 38 years old. Um, So that is what is supporting the RAND, even in the face of a lot of these images that we've seen globally. It's not the capital account um, that is driving the currency, rather what it is, is that we are selling far more to the rest of the world in terms of value than we are buying at this point in time. And is that sustainable? I think the question is what happens to commodity prices going forward? We've seen a sharp rise, partially driven by plentiful central bank liquidity from the US, from Europe, from Japan, even China to some extent. Um, But can that be sustained? I think that depends on whether the infrastructure plans that are being talked about in the US are actually realized this green transition, massive investments in 
terms of new green infrastructure. Um, if it materializes, that will be very positive for commodity prices. And if we have a period of significant fiscal spending out of developed markets, that will, will support commodity prices. The last time we saw spending of that magnitude was the 60s and prior to that, the 1930s. Um, so we haven't seen that spending for a very long time. So that is the big question here. If that happens, yes, commodity prices can be sustained. And what about the influence of China's economy on ours? There are many question marks about China's economy, which have sent shivers down the international markets. Will China's fortunes affect ours? And if so, how? Well, China's been the largest buyer of most commodities for the last decade and a half. Therefore, there is a lot of awareness on what's happening to the Chinese credit cycle at this point in time, and therefore Chinese fixed investment and demand for commodities. Um, I don't think there is any chance of any further acceleration in China. I think the question is whether you see a sharp decline and the evidence is not clear yet at this point. I think what the government is trying to engineer is a gradual slowdown. So I would expect to see um, incremental demand for commodities from China slowing. Therefore, the question is, can we see other parts of the world growing their demand to offset this? The big risk is if you see a very sharp slowdown. I think the risk of that in China, though, is actually relatively low because the ability of the authorities to manage slowdowns is better than we see in more open economies like the U.S. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was Head of South African Investments at 91, Nazmira Muller. We are now joined by News24 economy reporter Lamise Omaji. Lamise, thanks for joining us. Is there a rational, well-thought-out plan from government for rebuilding the economy that anyone believes in? Can you tell us about Tito and Boweni's recovery plans? Are they feasible or just pie in the sky? Well, we have the umbrella plan from the President Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, which is the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan that was announced last year um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. If you remember, it had a really harsh impact on the economy. Um, We actually contracted to a record level of 7% last year, something which possibly hasn't been seen in in 100 years. But this plan is in place and it targets things like infrastructure investment, green economy interventions, the inclusion of women and youth, as well as energy security. And there has been some progress already that we've seen, particularly in the energy sector. The president uh, recently announced that uh, regulations in the energy sector that would allow private generators to uh, generate as much as 100 megawatts of power. And and that would possibly help with our energy security challenges because we know that load shedding has been such a stumbling block for businesses and for other parts of the economy to function. And that's just one reform, but it's very impactful. And also, just in terms of growth levels, I, I know we, I said that we contracted severely last year, but in the first quarter already, we were surprising in terms of our recovery. And this year, for 2021, the Reserve Bank sees us growing 4.2%, and the International Monetary Fund sees us growing as much as 4%. They've actually revised the outlook from 3.1% to 4%. Where Treasury comes in is probably through Operation Bulindlela. That's a joint effort with the presidency. 
and that's focused on unblocking uh, the barriers in industries like telecommunications, power, uh, water, and even in tourism, where we see issues with visas. According to the Treasury's Director General, Dondo Mogajani, this week he said that uh, there have been some fruits from Operation Bulindela and that reforms are ongoing. Do you think this is the time to still be insisting on radical economic transformation or should we all just be pulling together to try and reconstruct this country and try and get it back on track if that's still possible? I think radical economic transformation probably got a bad name because of state capture and that is sort of explored uh, by academics in the betrayal of the promise report um, which was published a few years ago. That's very unfortunate because our economy does need a restructuring. We have one of the most unequal societies in the world and we can't ignore that. Think about the hard lockdown, you know, that happened last year when we had food security as an issue. That shouldn't be an issue in 2021 in a democracy. So, yeah, and I also think that with unrest, regardless of what the root cause of it was, the sinister forces behind it, it's a reflection that there are masses of people who are desperate in our country and they're living without, you know, any dignity, whereas there's only a handful of people living in luxury. And so we can't rebuild our economy with the hopes that it's going to be what it was in 2019 before the pandemic, because that was an economy where not everyone has equal opportunity. And we need to consider what we're going to do for future generations. They need to have a better country to live in where everyone has equal opportunities, things like employment in our economy. So we can't, the only way we can rebuild and reconstruct is by ensuring redistribution. And there isn't any way around that. Everyone should be able to enjoy wealth that is generated in this economy. And it can't just be reserved for a few people. So it depends on how we are defining failed state and by whose standards we are a failed state. You know, if we look at our unemployment figures, um, we have 7.2 million people who are jobless. And some people would argue that if at least one person is unemployed and unable to earn an income, then that's a failure. Or if people can't access medical care or you know, proper education, then that's a failure. We shouldn't lose any hope because it's not like government isn't doing anything. Government recently reintroduced the 350 rands uh, social relief of distress grant. And I think it's because they realized that people needed it. And so it's not like we have a government that is completely dismissing people's concerns. I think the reintroduction of the grant is a reflection of how democracy works you know, through platforms like NEDLAC, where the views or concerns of different groups like workers, business, civil societies that can be raised with government or through parliament. We have people, people can actually make submissions on legislation that affects their lives. So we have channels where people can be heard and we have a media that tells the stories of, of the challenges that South Africans face and also things worth celebrating. So as long as we have a thriving democracy, in which we can have a free press that is instrumental in ensuring access to information and which can hold government to account, 
And as long as people can vote for their representatives at different levels of government, then I think we are not on the way to a failed state. Um, we do have responsible citizens and we've seen them rise up during the unrest, defending malls or cleaning up the pieces after the riots, who, who care about this country too much to let it become a failed state. Well, exactly, Lamise, and South Africans, as we know, are so resilient and we'll work together to turn the situation around. Thank you so much for your time. That was News24 economy journalist, Lamise Omaji. I'm Catherine Rice, and this episode was produced with the help of Amy Gibbings.